Father God, that is true. Your faithfulness and your righteousness are overwhelming. They're beyond our capacity to understand and fathom. And Father, yet we embrace it. We embrace as much as we can get from you. Lord, thank you for that. We just pray that Christ would be exalted today, that he would be lifted high in our, I believe already in our singing and in our prayers, but Lord, now in our preaching and in the listening of God's word. So Father, I pray that you would change us. May we please, oh God, please, I'm asking you that we would not leave this room the same we came in. Lord, I pray that your word would drill deep down into our hearts and uh, that we would be, we would be um, just so caught up in who your son Jesus is. And it's in his name we pray. And God's people said, amen. Well, how do others see you? How do others see you? In other words, have you ever had people make an assumption about you um, that you are this way? Maybe they saw you in one certain context. Maybe they saw you, you know, at work or at school or in your neighborhood and they thought, well, that's exactly who, who John is or that's exactly who Brad is or that's who exactly Sam is. And they didn't understand the whole picture of who you are. They didn't see the real you. I think that happens all the time. A week ago last Saturday, our family was at the Durham Quarter Marathon uh, organized by the refuge. And after the adult run, they had the one kilometer scamper for the kids. And both our sons, Josiah and Noah, participated. Now, I worried about Noah because um, he's just a little guy. You know, he's, he's five and... Um, I, you know, he has these little legs, and when I uh, saw him um, take off, I thought, oh, is he going to make it? So the gun went off, and they took off, and all the kids, and they had to run up the hill, and uh, then we didn't see the kids for a while, okay? And then all of a sudden, I saw all these kids coming down, and I saw this little speck coming down. And there he was, and there was tears just flowing down my cheeks, as I thought, man, this little kid is a great runner. Look at him up there. He's running with all of his might. I had totally misjudged him. He is a good runner. And afterwards, and if you ask them today, Noah, are you a good runner? He would say, I'm a runner. I'm a runner. He just loved it. I totally misjudged him, though. And I just, I just love to see his passion. Well, doesn't that happen all the time in our lives? People don't see you for who you really are. Oh, how often I have misjudged people and, and thought that they were one way when reality they were not. I do that. I bet you do that. I, I know Lori has done that. Uh, Lori, when she first met me, she thought I was cute. Okay? Now, ladies, I just want to tell you, cute is not a descriptor of men. It's for puppy dogs, okay? And when she saw me, she thought I was cute and kind of a little bit goofy, but she didn't know the whole package. She didn't see the studious and serious side of me. And um, as she got to know the whole package, uh, she wanted more, of course. <laughs> Isn't it important? 
for people to see how we really are. And more importantly, isn't it important to answer the question, how does God see you? That's a very significant question. See, others may judge you, and depending on how much you value their opinion, it can affect your actions. I know if Lori or my family says something about me, I pay closer attention to them. Their opinion matters to me. How much more so should the God of the universe, his opinion matter about us and how he sees us? I want to tell you today that this text that we're going to look at has changed my life because I've been wrestling with the question, how does God see me? And if you will enter into that same question, I believe God can change you today. So I would ask that you would turn to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. Now some of you are like, where's Zechariah? I get lost in all those minor prophets. Here's a little tip. Here's how you do this. You know where Matthew is in the New Testament? Just go to Matthew and go two books back. Matthew, then go back to Malachi, then Zechariah. And we're in Zechariah chapter 3. And so after you've found that, uh, let's look at chapter 3, verse 1 of Zechariah. And here's how it reads. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, that he is the Lord. The Lord showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now let's just stop there for a second. Zechariah was shown Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now, I just got to say, don't confuse this Joshua with the Joshua you know as the great general who fought all those great wars in the book of Joshua. No, this Zechariah, uh, this, this Joshua that Zechariah is seeing is, is a different Joshua. This Joshua was the one who helped lead the nation of Israel after they had been in Babylon for 70 years, being captive by the Babylonians. He had helped lead the nation back to, uh, to Israel. And um, he helped them reestablish the building of the temple. We find this in Ezra chapter 3 and Ezra chapter 5. And also we find this in Haggai 1. You can read that on your own. I encourage you to do so. And um, can you imagine after 70 years of not being able to worship God and you have somebody who helps you do that? To be able to worship again in a temple? How great that is. We, ha we, have, we have a wonderful time of sending praises to God every week. Can you imagine if for 70 years we weren't able to do that? And then all of a sudden, a guy by the name of Joshua comes and he helps us do that? We'd think Joshua was this way up there. We'd, we'd love Joshua. In fact, Joshua was really well known in the nation at that time. He was, he was their man. He was their hero. He was their representative before God. All of the hopes of the nation rested on Joshua because he was chosen for one day of the year to go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement for all the sins and all the wrongs of all the people, from the little children to the women to the men. He was there to make atonement for the people. And in a sense, when the high priest Joshua went into the Holy of Holies, he was entering into the divine and royal courtroom. 
Now let's just take a pause for a second. If you were to enter into a royal courtroom, you would not just wear sloppy clothes, would you? You wouldn't just go in their beach attire. You would be dressed up. You would, you would try to look your best. You would make sure that you, uh, you were prim and proper as you went into this, this, this royal courtroom. How much more so did the priest of that day? In Leviticus chapter 21, verses 20 through, 21 through 22, the chapters there, you find all the list of requirements that the priest had, all the rules that they had to follow. And uh, I don't expect you to, to write all these things down, but I'm going to just kind of um, read a few of them off. And you can follow along on the PowerPoint or follow along with me in Leviticus 21 through 22. The first thing we find is the priest couldn't go to funerals. Can you imagine that? They couldn't go to funerals. Your, your friend dies, and they can't go to the funeral. We find that in, in verses 2 through 4 of chapter 21 of Leviticus. And further on, we find that if you're the high priest, if your mom or dad dies, you can't go to their funeral. How awful would that be? I love my parents, and I can't imagine not going to their funeral. But that was the requirement. They couldn't have anything to do with the dead because the priests were to be about life. In verses 5 and 6, another requirement is there was no shaving. No shaving. In verses 7 through 8, there was no remarriages. And then in verses 10 through 12, there, we find that the priest's clothes and hair must always be tidy, which would be really tough because you couldn't shave, right? You had more hair to take care of. And then we find that the priest also had in verses 10 that, that the priest was anointed with oil on his, on his head. And so I can just imagine, this is how I go, this is how my mind thinks, like his hair must have been slicked back quite a bit, like Fonzie. Remember Fonzie from the happy days, right? And, um, you know, back in the day, I used to slick your hair back, and, and I bet there was some in this room who did that, right? I'm not going to ask for you uh, to raise your hands, but... Um, can you imagine back in uh, the days, way beyond the 50s, but way back into the days of Joshua? He had oil in his hair all the time. We find in chapter 21, verse 12, that um, the priests couldn't leave the sanctuary. They always had to stay. Had to stay in the house of God. And uh, any injuries or diseases or defects or deformities, they disqualified him. So if you, you got sick, you're, you're out. You're out for a while as a priest. And then in verse 22, verse 5 of Leviticus, we find it says literally that he couldn't be around any crawling thing. And so we know from another scripture in Leviticus 11 that uh, what those crawling things were. And so imagine this. You had been doing all these things. You had been taking care of your clothes. You had, you had put oil on your head. You had um, not shaved. You hadn't gone to any funerals. And then all of a sudden, a stinking lizard comes out and runs right across your feet. And you're disqualified. You'd be like, come on, after all these years of doing everything right. And a stinking Larry the lizard comes and, and wrecks it all for me. And then there's the rule of eating. You always had to have a bath before eating the sacred food. We find this in Leviticus 22, 6 through 7. You know how sometimes you tell your kids to go wash their hands before they eat? Well, this, you had to like take a whole bath before you eat. And then you would become clean only after the sun went down. So you had to wait to eat till after the sun came down. 
priest had to go through a lot. Now it reminds you that he did not endure all this cleanliness because he thought it was just fun to do. The priest went, underwent great sacrifices so that he could make sacrifices on behalf of God's people. So the priest had all these rules to do. But I want to tell you, it doesn't compare to what Joshua, the high priest, had to do. In addition to all those that have already been mentioned, listen to what Ray Dillard describes. He's an Old Testament professor at Westminster Seminary. He says, There was an enormous amount of preparation that took place for the Day of Atonement. A week beforehand, the priest was to be put into seclusion, taken away from his home, and into a place where he was completely alone. Why? So he wouldn't actually touch or eat anything unclean. Clean food was brought to him, and he'd wash his body and prepare his heart. And then the night before the Day of Atonement, he didn't go to bed. He stayed up all night praying and reading God's Word to purify his soul. And so those are some of the things, the great measures that Joshua would have taken to represent God's people. We find in Leviticus 16 the rules for the high priest on the Day of Atonement. He would go into the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people. And here's what he would do. He had to take a special bath. He had to take a special bath. And he would wear a sacred linen tunic with a linen undergarment. And then he would make atonement for his own sin by slaughtering a young bull and a ram. Now, if you've ever butchered an animal, uh, like I have after harvesting a deer, you know that it is a lot of work. It's very messy. And many of you would be totally grossed out by it. I know some of you have gone, gone moose hunting, and just, it's just messy, isn't it? So Joshua would have had to take a bath. And then after this gruesome work, he would have taken another bull and make a sacrifice for his entire household, including the priest. So the first bull that he sacrificed was for his own sin. And then the second bull, he has to make sacrifice for his family and all the priestly family. And guess what he has to do next? He has to take another bath, a third bath. And apparently these baths are all done in public with just a little shield to, to cover him up. And so he would, he, would, he would constantly have to be clean. And so then after that third bath, the high priest would take one of two goats. One was called the scapegoat, and the scapegoat was the one who was let free and left off into the, to, uh, sent off into the wilderness. And then the other goat he would slaughter. And he would do so for the sake of all the people of Israel. And after sprinkling the blood on the altar, he's taken another bath. Now, no one would think this was shameful and have some purient curiosity to, uh, to know about the, the priest's nakedness. They wouldn't be peeking. They knew that the pre high priest was taking their place and atoning for their sins, so he had to be absolutely pure. And so guess what? Don't you think? Don't you think if, if Joshua was, was our hero, that we'd be cheering him on? Yeah, for sure. However, there was one who was not cheering Joshua on. Back to Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. We've only got through the first phrase. It says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Oh. They're in the divine courtroom. And here's Satan accusing him. 
Satan, which literally means the adversary, was standing there to accuse Joshua. This is one of the main roles of Satan, not only in Joshua's life, but in ours as well. Satan is described in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, as the accuser of the brethren. Does Satan's opinion matter? Some of you have these accusations running in your head all the time that have been planted in you. You know what they are? You're worthless. God's really disappointed with you. Why don't you just kill yourself? Get it over with. God can't use you. We know what you've done. You know what you did. I want to tell you today, my friend, to stop listening to these accusations because of what happens next in this passage. Notice what it says in verse 2. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord doesn't dismiss the charges against Joshua. Instead, he rebukes Satan. And he rebukes him with his authority and by his name. This is also true of us. Satan is right. We have sinned. Joshua has sinned. The charges stick. We need somebody to defend us against our accuser. And there's only one, who can, one person who can do that. It's the Lord himself. In fact, I would tell you that Satan's real battle is not against you, but against God. He just picks on you to get to God as God's servant, as God's children. So please, if you're hearing, hearing these accusations in your mind, go to the Lord with them. I think that we would be helped so much if we listen to what God thinks about us and not what others think about us. Well, in verse 3, we find the most surprising thing in the story. It says this, Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. Now, just think about that for a second. Didn't I just give you a list of all the things that Joshua had to do to keep himself pure? How in the world did he get filthy? In fact, literally, there's excrement on him. How in the world did that happen? He would have been secluded. He would have done everything in his power to keep himself pure. No matter how hard you try, my friend, Keep yourself clean. Sin gets on you because sin oozes out of you. Think about that. Lots of you think that God sees you as clean because you've been trying to clean yourself up. You've been attempting to keep all the rules. However, your motivation to keep the rules itself will damn you because you are trying to clean yourself up. Now, on the other hand, some of you know how hard it is to try and keep your appearances when reality, you know that there's dark stuff inside your life and it's causing stains. You see yourself as covered in filth. You know that sin is sticking to you and you feel such shame 
I want to tell you today that you, I have good news for both of you. Whether you are the one who's trying to clean yourself up, but in reality, the sin is still sticking to you. Or whether you know that you've sinned. I want to tell you today that today can be the cleanup day for you. The cleanup day that you've been longing in your heart for. The Lord wants to remove those dirty clothes, whether you get them from rolling them around in the mud that this world has to offer, that looks so good at the time, and then you get stained. Or whether it's just because of your, your good motivations. You think you can, you can have good motivations to do what's right, when in reality it's all about you. Both of those things will muddy you up. And instead of the dirt, the Lord wants to give you rich garments. Isn't this what we read? And verse 4, the angel, of the, the angel of the Lord said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And then they said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. And then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. I love that. Remember Satan was on this side? Now the angel of the Lord is standing right there beside him. And the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. <laughs> Not only... Do you get rid of the dirty clothes, but you get new clothes, rich garments, and then you get the assignment of serving in God's kingdom as his priest and his, his servant in his courts. Wow. Joshua would have gone from great shame to great delight in seeing what God had done for him. It's true for us to do today, too. We are now given the freedom to serve God purely if we'll just walk in his ways. And so why would anybody want to go back to the filth? Get away from it. Don't go back. There's even a promise here. There'll be enough resources and time to enjoy the prosperity of being in relationship with others. As I continue to read, listen to what it says in verse 8. Listen, O high priest Joshua, and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua? There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. And that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. All of a sudden, because of being clean, you can enjoy relationship with others. And they, you can be welcomed in and be hospitable to them. Before you were so worried about your sin and trying to deal with it and how to take care of it. You're caught up in trying to manage your sin. But now you have freedom. You can actually go and love others. This is a great promise. Do you want this? Do you want to know how God sees you? Then I must introduce you or remind you that there was, there was another Joshua. Except you might know him as his Aramaic name. His name is Yeshua or Jesus. See, Joshua means 
Jehovah is salvation. And when people called Jesus by his Hebrew name, they were saying Joshua. They were saying Jehovah is salvation. When they cried out Jesus, they were actually saying Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. This reiterates that Jesus is Jehovah. And that we need to remind our Jehovah's Witness friends this truth. Every time a Hebrew, word, Hebrew reads the word salvation, he is saying the name Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. Salvation is a person. As Ray Dillard, in describing the Joshua of the New Testament, he says this, This Joshua staged another day of atonement. Of course, this Joshua, like all high priests, had a, a lifelong job of keeping his, himself free from sin. He too was bathed, which is what his baptism was all about. Do you remember when Jesus said in Matthew 3.15, he says, and there was a fight between him and, and, and John the Baptist, you know, should I baptize you and should you baptize me? And, and John didn't think he was worthy to baptize Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? It was actually the first command from the lips of Jesus recorded in the New Testament. It says, do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was bathing himself to show, to fill all righteousness, to fulfill the role of priest. And one week beforehand, Jesus began to prepare himself before this day of atonement. And the night before, he didn't go to sleep, but prayed all night to God in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the next day, he was undressed in front of the people. However, there are some differences between Joshua of Zechariah 3 and the Joshua whose day of atonement finally atoned for sin once for all and removed the sin of this land in one day. This Joshua didn't need to make a sacrifice for his personal sin. And unlike other priests, he was the only one to keep himself free from sin. Instead of a bull and a ram or a goat, there was a lamb. A precious lamb. But the lamb was not an animal. It was Joshua himself. And instead of people cheering Joshua, they jeered Jesus. And instead of being clothed in rich garments, he was stripped of the only garment that he had. He was beaten, and he was killed naked. And he was bathed. But he was bathed in human spit. Only this Joshua can save us because salvation is not an act. It's in a person. He can cleanse us from the stain in our lives that have been so careful, that we've been so careful to try to avoid. Only this Joshua can reveal who we are and make us who we should be. A servant of God who prospers their neighbor. I can't help but read this and just be overwhelmed with what Jesus has done for me. At the beginning of the sermon, I asked you, how do others see you? You're reminded of the times that you've been misjudged. But what happens if you've misjudged yourself? The only way to get an accurate understanding of yourself is through God's eyes. We need to know how God sees us. And the only way to find out that answer is to enter into the divine courtroom. Do you see yourself there? Maybe it's quite easy to picture yourself in those soiled garments. And you're very aware of your sin. Your garments get stained daily and you are ashamed. 
But do you see Jesus standing there and rebuking Satan on your behalf? Do you see Jesus taking those soiled garments, telling them to get off you, and then instead clothing you with his righteousness? The righteousness is promised as the promised branch. As I read in verse 8, I'm going to bring my servant the branch. That branch is the one who purchased us in one day. Let that thought wash over you. But maybe it is not easy for you to see yourself. You think, I'm vigilant about what I put in my life. I'm careful about what I watch, what I drink, what I eat. I'm careful about who I spend time with. I'm devoted to prayer. I serve God faithfully. I do everything in my power and strength to live pure before God. I'd remind you of Joshua, the high priest. Did he not observe strict religious regulations? Yet we see him covered in the filth of his own sin. He was intended to save others when he needed saving himself. In verse 2, it describes Joshua as being saved as a burning stick snatched from the fire. He was saved by the branch himself, who was Jesus, the new Joshua. None of his outward purity could take away the stain of his sin. My friends, in the words of the hymn writer James Proctor, cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. Friends, please think about the cross every day. Believe how God sees you through Christ and tell others about how God can see them through Jesus. Grace changes everything. It changes our whole perspective of how we see others and more importantly, how God sees us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for Joshua, my new high priest. Oh God, thank you for his righteousness. And as we proclaim, we, we gather together all the tongues in this, this, this auditorium to sing your praises and to know that it's only through Jesus that we can have our righteousness be now no longer a struggle, but be complete. Oh, we thank you and we praise you. And God's people said, amen.